Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Hey everybody, good morning and welcome to Coastal Community Church. Uh, I am Pastor Chris. Uh, Great to have you with us today. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. My guess is we probably have a few more people than normal online because uh, kind of a fall break this weekend. Kids were out of school, uh, I think half day Thursday, all day Friday. So I know we got some people uh, traveling this weekend. So thank you for staying engaged and joining all these beautiful people here today that were too cheap to go out of town this weekend. No, I don't know. I didn't didn't go out of town either. But um, what a great uh, great fall kind of feel uh, this week and today here in Charleston, although I think it's to warm up to like 75 or something. So anyway, good morning. Uh, Somebody told me a story uh, about an older couple uh, who went to the doctor because they were having trouble remembering things. Um, You know, even the simple things uh, from day to day, they were just having a a little bit of a difficult time. Anybody been there, done that? I mean, yeah, yeah, the older we get, kind of like the remote, the keys, and then it becomes, you know, just other tasks that you, you know, you need to remember. So they go to the doctor, and the doctor said, listen, I've got something that you can do. Uh, this has worked with a lot of my other patients, and I feel you know, positive that, that it'll help you guys out as well. I want you to start using Post-it notes. And as silly as it might sound, just begin, you know, just write yourself some notes, especially some of the tasks that you, know, you, you do kind of on a regular basis or some things that, you know, that come up from day to day that you don't want to forget, and just put them in strategic places you know, around the house or in your car to remind you of those things that you don't want to forget. So they thought that was a great idea, and uh, later that night, uh, after dinner, they were sitting in the living room, they're watching TV, and the wife gets up and she says, honey, I'm going to go into the kitchen, would you like me to bring you something to eat, maybe a snack or dessert or something? And the husband said, yeah, that, that's great, I would, uh, I'd love a bowl of ice cream. She goes, okay, no problem, coming right up. And then he said, now, honey, make sure you write that down, because if you don't, you're going to get in there, and you're going to get busy doing something else, and you're going to forget by the time you come back you know, to join me in the living room. She said, don't be silly. I can remember a bowl of ice cream. That's so easy. And, and then she asked him, well, you know, do you want anything on it? And he said, yeah, I'd love some, maybe some chocolate syrup, uh, some nuts, and uh, maybe you can top it off with some whipped cream and, and some cherries. And she said, got it, no problem. And he shot back to her, now, honey, again, we've got some Post-it notes right there on the counter. If you would, just go ahead and write it down, because if you don't write it down, you know what's going to happen. You're not going to remember all that. And she said, seriously, I'm just going into the next room. I'm telling you, I will remember. So... About 15 minutes pass, and uh, she comes back into, this, into the living room with this incredible meal of uh, bacon and eggs and hash browns. And he said, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I told you to write it down. You forgot the toast. Now, um, so, some of you, that's, that's a little too close to home, isn't it? I know it is for some of you. Um, well... Today, we begin chapter four of our study of the book of Romans. And each week in our study, it's as though the Apostle Paul has been laying out these post-it notes. You you wondered where the segue was going to be, right? Well, that's kind of what he's been doing for the last several weeks, these last three chapters, just laying out post-it notes everywhere because he doesn't want there to be any confusion. And more importantly, he doesn't want anybody to forget That we are all sinners in need of a Savior, and that nothing, 
Nothing else in this world can save you, can make you right before God except for faith in Christ. And he's been saying that over and over and over again. Now, it's one thing for us to be familiar with such a very profound theological concept, but it's quite another to really understand it and then to apply it to our lives today. So, to help us get a handle on the fact that we are now made right, that we are justified, made right before God by faith, Paul turns to the example of Abraham. And he's doing that for a very strategic reason. Again, think about the audience that he's writing to. No first century Jew would ever question in a million years Abraham's faith. I mean, they would never question whether or not Abraham was, was saved or, or that he was now enjoying the presence of God in heaven. I mean, that was just a given for, for the first century Jew, for his audience. In fact, think about this. Even Jesus, in his parable of the, uh, the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, he refers to Lazarus, does anybody remember being where? At Abraham's bosom, Abraham's side, uh, in paradise. So it's a given. But Paul asks a very simple question, and it's one that we need to answer today. How and when did Abraham become justified in God's sight? How and when was he made right before God? So he answers that question in chapter 4 by explaining that Abraham was made right before God apart from three things. Okay, So if you're taking notes, number one, in verses one through eight, Paul explains that Abraham is justified by faith totally apart from good works. Okay, acts of service and kindness, the things that you might do in the community, you know, just good, good works, good deeds. Look at verse three. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, stop there for a second. The, the word counted there, in, in some translations, it's the word credited, okay? It's actually an accounting term that was used in financial settings to mean that, that you are crediting something to somebody else's account that they did not earn in and of themselves. You are, you are giving them something, you're, you're placing you know, something over onto somebody else's account. Now, what's interesting is that that word is used 41 times in the New Testament. And 19 of those times, almost half, it's used right here in the book of Romans. And then, out of those 19 times, Paul uses it 11. 11 times here in chapter 4 alone. Again, talk about post-it notes. I mean, seriously, he's, he's just laying these out all over the place. And he says, hey, I want you to get this. Don't forget it. Don't get confused about it. Abraham was made righteous. He was justified because of his faith in God, not because of his good works. Look at verses four and five. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Now, Paul's using kind of a, 
Uh, an interesting but a very common illustration is one that we can relate to uh, as well, a part of everyday life. Uh, the IRS tells us that gifts, okay, gifts up to a certain amount to a certain point are not taxable. In fact, I meant to check with some of our CPAs and accounts around. What, what's, the, what's the limit? How, how much, uh, I see Don there, how much can you give somebody as a gift and it be counted still as a gift? Anybody know? 15,000? Man, y'all need to give me some gifts. I didn't realize it was that high. Like, wow, that's pretty good. I, was, you know, I thought it was gonna be like several hundred bucks or something. I don't know, $15,000. Okay, now, it would be great, wouldn't it? Think about this for a second. Wouldn't it be to your advantage if you could treat your paycheck as a gift from your employer? That'd be awesome, right? Tax-free. Now, the IRS, however, would never buy that, right? They, would, they insist that if you work, then what you are given is not a gift, but it is a wage. And it has to be reported, and it has to be taxed. Now, so what Paul is saying here is that, okay, we, we should all understand this. If you work for something, then what you receive is not a gift. It's what you've earned. So we receive it as a result of our labor. It's an obligation that has to be paid. And if you've worked for it, then you can take credit for having earned it. So he's saying that, listen, you can't do that with, with God. You can't work for salvation. You can't pretend like you can do enough good things to earn it, to earn salvation. Now, let, let me make something crystal clear, because the last several weeks, especially as we've been in the series through Romans, we, we've made a point, and again, there's all these post-it notes everywhere reminding us that we are justified by our faith and not our good works, that our good works don't save us. So with all that talk, I do want you to understand something. I don't want anybody to ever get the idea that good works, good deeds, you know, volunteering, serving, have no place in the Christian life. But you gotta get this important distinction. We don't serve in order to be saved. But we will serve if we truly have been saved. Do you see the distinction? Do you see the difference? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we love these two verses. Listen to this. And it's, it's almost exactly what Paul is saying here in Romans. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through what? Faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is, here's that word, a gift, a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Again, this is another post-it note. It's a reminder. This is exactly what Paul is saying here in Romans. But I don't want you to miss the next verse, verse 10. He says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to what? What's he say? To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So in other words, what he's saying is that good works follow salvation. You know, just like night follows day. Now, your good works are worthless as far as earning your salvation goes, purchasing your salvation. But they are essential as far as expressing your salvation. You know, like a Christian who doesn't serve is... You know, I mean, that, 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 that makes no sense. 
You know, like again, you're not saved by good works, but you are saved to do good works. Number two, in verses 9 through 12, Paul explains that Abraham is justified by faith, totally apart from all religious rites and rituals and ceremonies, okay? Religious rites and rituals. Now, and we've talked a little bit about this earlier on. The most important religious uh, event, ritual throughout Jewish history was, of course, circumcision. But what's interesting, though, is if you check out the timeline, okay, of Abraham's life in Genesis, you discover that he was saved, he was made right before God at least 14 years before he was circumcised. So his circumcision just confirmed his, uh, his salvation. It didn't create it. It didn't cause it. Okay, look at verse 11. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So you think, well, how in the world does that apply to you and me today, Chris? Well, in a similar way. You know, all the different religious rites and rituals and ceremonies that we might do today that still have some value and are important, like baptism or church membership or communion, the Lord's Supper, as important as those things are, listen to me, they don't impart salvation. They don't save you. You know, they, they just confirm your salvation. They're a part of your, your journey of faith. So, we are made right by faith in Christ alone, apart from good works, apart from religious rites and ceremonies, but there's one more that Paul mentions here. He finishes up chapter four by reminding us that Abraham was justified by faith totally apart from keeping the law. Totally apart from keeping the law. Now, before we go any further, I think it's interesting to note that even though Romans was written, this letter that's written to the Christians in Rome 2,000 years ago, Paul here puts his finger on the three most common means today by which people think they're going to get accepted by God, that they're going to be made right by God, by their good works. You know, I'll just be a better person. I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps and, and I'll do good things. You know, hopefully my good will outweigh my bad by religious, you know, rituals and ceremonies and rites and, you know, baptism, communion, confirmation, membership, and then finally by keeping the law, just obeying the commandments, you know, obeying the Ten Commandments, the, the, all the commands in, in the Bible. Now, Abraham's life is an illustration of what Paul declared back in chapter 3, verse 20. Let's go back there. Listen to this verse. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Now, how is Abraham an illustration of that? Well, because Abraham's life was based entirely on faith. Look at verses 13 and 14. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. Now, 
One reason that Abraham didn't receive the promise, wasn't made right before God, didn't have this good relationship with God through the law, think about it, was the simple fact that he lived almost 600 years before the law was established through Moses. So the basis for faith is tied to the fact that Abraham had God's righteousness credited to his account long before God gave the law. So Paul's basically telling these Jewish readers and he's telling us today, hey, listen, just do the math. Do the simple math. If Abraham is made, was made right 600 years before the law was given, then the law obviously couldn't have had anything to do with his salvation. And the point of Paul's whole discussion here is that God's promises of salvation, God's promises of, of righteousness are conditioned only by faith. Not on what you do to, to earn something. You know, that, that's, why, that's why he says what he does in verse 14, that if a, a person could become a child of God by keeping the law, then there's no need for faith. In fact, the only thing that the law does is it brings God's wrath. Look at verse 15. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. Why? Because you can't obey all of it. And if you're guilty of breaking one law, one commandment, the Bible says you're guilty of breaking all of it. He says the only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. Now, let's pretend for a second that after church you're out here on uh, Arlington Drive and uh, you take your car up you know, 75 miles an hour on Arlington Drive. I'm not sure my car could get up to that, that speed out here on Arlington. Some of you are convinced that it can. Your cars can. But if, you, if you're out here on Arlington Drive and you're going 75 miles an hour and you get caught, you will feel the wrath of the law of the city of Charleston, okay? The police officers here on campus will arrest you, right? Now, the law can't right your wrong, can it? It only reveals the severity of your infraction. And so Paul is saying, for those of you who are actually looking to keep the law, to just try to be a good person in order to find acceptance with God, you're turning to something that ultimately is only gonna bring God's wrath because you're never going to be able to keep it perfectly. It's never going to be enough. You're never gonna be able to accomplish it. In fact, over in Galatians 3.10, again, just another little post-it note, he describes it this way. He says, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. You say, well, oh, Pastor Chris, you know, if, it only bring, if the law only brings God's curse and his wrath, then why did God give it in the first place? What's, what's the point? Here it is. To bring us to our knees. To make us aware that, that we are sinners. And that we can't do it in and of ourselves. And that we do need a savior. In a sense, Paul is saying, listen, there are two systems by which you can live. And you got a choice. There, there is this universal option that God gives everybody. You can live by the system of the law, which is a system of, of works leading only to condemnation and wrath, or a system of grace, which is a system based on faith and the one who gives life. And again, God gives everybody this choice. Are you gonna live by works 
Or are you gonna live by faith? Are you gonna live by the law or are you gonna live by grace? Look at verses 16 and 17. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. You see, think about it. When God, God first called Abraham, he, he really wasn't a Jew. He's just a normal, everyday pagan. That's all he was. You know, before God made his covenant with Abraham, there were no Jews or Gentiles, strictly, strictly speaking. And so Paul is using that to make the point that God credited Abraham's faith as righteousness before any of those distinctions were made. That's why Abraham is called the father of all who believe. He's your spiritual father. He's my spiritual father. There, there used to be a song we used to sing in uh, children's church called Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons. You remember that song? Uh, you know, it's actually like the hokey pokey. If you know the hokey pokey, you can, you can, you can do Father Abraham. But he's the, he's the spiritual father of all who believe, all who trust in Jesus, regardless of their race or religious heritage. Again, Abraham was just an ungodly sinner who trusted, not in his own efforts, but in the God, the Bible says, who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Man, I love that phrase. We serve a God who brings the dead back to life and who creates something out of nothing. And maybe you came here today and that's the God that you need to have faith in. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's happening in your family, in your finances, in your, with your children, with your job. But we believe in a God who brings something out of nothing, who raises the dead back to life and he can do it in your life. He did it then, he's done it all throughout history, he's done it in our church, and he can do it again in your life. Listen, what incident could Abraham have recalled where God did exactly that, brought the dead back to life and created something out of nothing? Well, let me ask you, how old was Abraham when God told him that him and Sarah were gonna have a baby? He was 99 years old. How old was Sarah? Almost 90 not only that, she had been infertile her entire life, but Abraham, the Bible says, believed God. He believed that God could bring life to the dead. He believed that God had the ability to create something out of nothing. Look at verses 18 and 19. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. In other words, he looked at his earthly circumstances I mean, he looked at his surroundings, he looked at his situation, and he said, no way, no how, no chance, not in a million years, this is impossible. And yet, against all hope, Abraham continued to believe. Now, I'm not suggesting, and neither does the Bible teach, that 
Abraham never stumbled. He didn't do, you know, he did some messed up things, he did. There were times that, you know, Abraham expressed impatience and anxiety, but he never got to the point of abandoning his faith in God. In fact, look at verses 20 and 21. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. That's one of the greatest definitions of faith in the entire Bible, being convinced that God is able. He is able to do whatever he says he's going to do. Whatever he promises, that's faith. You know, in this case, Sarah had been barren her entire life, and she gives birth at age 90. Sarah's the only person in history who paid her OB bill through her Social Security check, you know? And I really think that's God's way of reminding us that it wasn't some scientific advancement that helped pull off this birth. It was God. It was God's hand. It was God keeping his promise. It was God keeping his word. The heart of this entire chapter is found in verse 22. And because of Abraham's good deeds. It doesn't say that, does it? Because Abraham kept the law perfectly. It doesn't say that, does it? And because of Abraham's what? His faith. God counted him as righteous. There's that little word again. Counted, credited. It's just another little reminder, another little post-it note. In response to Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. In, in and of himself, in his sinful flesh, Abraham was totally unable to meet God's standard of perfect righteousness, but the good news of salvation, the good news for you and me today is that God will take the simple faith of a sinner and he'll count that faith as divine righteousness. Look how this, past, this chapter closes in verses 23 through 25. And when God counted him, again, as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit, for yours, for mine, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sin and he was raised to life to make us right with God. You know the marvelous thing about Abraham's faith being credited to him, counted as righteousness, is that the same divine, miraculous transaction occurs in every person's life who puts their trust and their faith in God's Son. This story of Abraham and his faith is important to us today because we are saved exactly the same way that Abraham was saved, through our faith. Again, it, it wasn't just that Abraham believed in God. Okay, the Bible tells us in James that even the demons believe there's a God. It's not about believing that a God exists. No, he, rather, he believed God. He trusted God. He believed him. He believed that God was able to, to bring something that was dead back to life, an impossibility. Don't you see? That's the challenge for us. Because we're all sinners 
and we all fall miserably short of the glory of God, there's got to be a plan. There's got to be a way that we can overcome that impossibility. And that plan is that God will pronounce upon us a verdict that we could never earn in and of ourselves. It comes to us because Jesus died in our place. He paid the penalty for our sin. And now our God is able to be both just and the justifier of the ungodly, you and me, if if we trust in his son Jesus. Don't you see? He is still bringing the dead back to life. He is creating something out of nothing. And what he's asking us is the same thing that he asked of Abraham. Not that we believe in him, that we believe in a God, but that we truly trust him. That we believe him. You know, that when we lift up our voices to pray, that we do so with the confidence that he is alive and that he loves us, that he is our father, that he has paid our price in full, that the door to heaven is wide open, not through any good works that we might do or religious practice of our own, but because Jesus has done it all. Listen, just as Abraham and Isaac went up onto that mountain, and Abraham said to his servants, hey, y'all stay right here, and the boy and I are gonna go make a sacrifice. And he was doing that because God told him. God told him to sacrifice his one and only son. Listen, just as he went up on that mountain with his son in faith, God the Father and Jesus the Son, they went up that mountain all by themselves. They went up to Golgotha. They went up to the place of the cross. They went up to, to alone to that cross and it was settled. It was settled there once and for all between the Father and between the Son. And you and I today are the beneficiaries of that. The beneficiaries of faith and love. And like I said in the beginning this morning, we forget that sometimes. We do. You know, we, we forget little things. We forget important things. We forget, you know, when, you know, when we first get saved, When we first come to faith, man, we're so excited, we're passionate, you know, the good news of the gospel is so rich and meaningful to us, but then we often leave those foundational things and then we think that there's, well, there's gotta be something more, there's gotta be something deeper, there's gotta be something more spiritual out there. Listen to Colossians chapter two, verses six through nine, and now... Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So you also are complete Complete through your union with Christ who is head over every spiritual ruler and authority. Now, did you catch that? Paul basically says, hey, as you got saved in Christ, continue to follow Jesus. Let your roots grow down deep into him. Let your lives be built on Jesus. Let your lives be built on him. And when somebody turns to the Lord, especially today here in America, there is such a, I don't know, such a smorgasbord as far as the church is concerned. 
So many things, so many you know, different things we offer people. You know, and, and sometimes I think that can be good and it can be bad. I mean, it's good in the sense of you know, having options and there's diversity and we have different tastes and different needs, but it can be bad in the sense that there are always people who claim to have discovered something new and better, the latest and the greatest you know, religious experience or the move of the spirit that's going on to the point where you kind of start wondering or even doubting whether or not you have everything there is to have. Listen carefully, and I want you to catch this today. If you have Jesus, you have everything you need. You have it all, all in Christ. Because of your faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the word of God. You have been set free from the powers of hell. There isn't anything that you don't have. There isn't anything that you're missing out on. But people will come along and they will try to convince you, oh, you know, if you have never been, I don't know, slain in the spirit, if you don't speak in tongues, then you haven't really arrived yet. Or if your church doesn't do this, or if they don't offer that, or if you haven't experienced this, or if you don't worship like this, then you're not truly there yet. And I think sometimes there is this alluring of our hearts toward those things, you know, to be more spiritual or to go deeper. Do you you know what the sad thing is if you continue to follow that path? And it's a long way around the barn, as they say, but sometime, years later, you will discover that it's just so good to come back to Jesus, to his word, to his grace, to life in him, to go down deep in him. Again, you will discover that if you have Christ, you have everything that you need. You have it all. But here's the question of the day. Do you have him? Have you placed your faith in him? Just like Abraham, have you been justified? Have you been made right before God because of your faith in his son, Jesus? Again, we've been putting up the reminders. Listen, you've either done that or you haven't. And if you haven't, you are underneath the wrath of God, a curse. You will stand before God condemned. The only way to be made right is not being good enough, it's not keeping all the rules, it's not doing all the things, it's faith, it's trust, it's surrender, and you can do it today, right here, right now. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for Abraham today, our spiritual father in the faith. I thank you, God, that in spite of his sin, in spite of his shortcomings and some of the messed up things that he did, that he was made right because of his faith in you. And God, I I know today there, there are people all around us, and maybe people in this room, maybe people watching online who think 
that somehow, some way, you know, if they're good outweighs they're bad, if they, you know, just keep working and trying harder and, and uh, they, they do the, the spiritual things that someone tells them to do, they, they get baptized, they take communion, they get confirmed that somehow, some way, they're going to be made right. You know, as good as those things are, they don't take care of our problem. Listen, right now, just pour your heart out to God like Abraham did and say, Father, I admit it. I am a sinner. I do need a Savior. And today I believe that one has been provided that out of your great love, you provided a choice. And today I choose him. I choose Jesus. I believe he died in my place. I believe he rose from the dead to prove it. And for as long as I live on this earth, until you come again or call me home, I just want to follow him. I want to become more and more, day by day, what you already see me as. Perfect. Made right in your eyes because of faith in Christ. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.